1: Inside Sources Inside Sources Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind, behind the, the news Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM at 11:60 a.m.
3: Welcome everyone to Inside Sources. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. There's always a lot of ground to cover on the fastest 60 minutes of radio and our job today as always is to help you divide the rage from the reason, help you slow things down and help you make the news make sense in your world. Uh, and as always, I want to know what's on your mind. So you can always do that on our Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line 57500. Again, 57500, Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line. Let me know what's on your mind, what's happening in your world today. Uh, And uh, as I mentioned, there's a a lot to hit today uh, of things going on. Obviously, things are heating up in the uh, Democratic nomination uh, for their presidential candidate. They've shifted to Nevada and South Carolina, where I think things will change significantly. Uh, The Senate is in session and actually uh, doing a little work today. And interestingly, the uh, focus is on the uh, war powers And uh, this is another one of those areas where uh, Utah's uh, Senate senators are on uh, different sides of the vote. Uh, And it's it's one of those that's really ironic. You've got uh, Senator Mike Lee, who is uh, saying, hey, the Congress has got to claw back that power that it has abdicated to the executive branch as it relates to the war powers, that if we are going to send men and women into harm's way, Congress needs to weigh in. Uh, and do that. Senator Romney uh, is on the opposite side of this particular uh, proposal, this particular bill, and so we'll monitor that. That vote's expected to happen later this afternoon, and so we'll follow that. Both Utah senators are uh, giving speeches. Uh, Senator Lee spoke uh, yesterday on uh, women's suffrage and uh, women in Utah as we celebrate the, uh, the first vote cast by a woman under equal suffrage laws, which will be tomorrow, but since we will not be on air tomorrow, uh, we wanted to celebrate that a little bit today. So, Senator Lee uh, will share some of his thoughts, and then uh, Senator Romney will deliver his address uh, on Utah's role in uh, women's vote. Uh, we'll be a little later on this afternoon. So, you can stay tuned to KSL News Radio and the Deseret News for additional coverage there. So, as we've looked at how we celebrate and commemorate, Uh, what took place 170 years ago. Uh, Yesterday, of course, was the Utah legislature passing the law that uh, gave women the right to vote in Utah. Uh, And then tomorrow will be the day when uh, Seraph Young uh, very uh, powerfully cast that first vote under equal suffrage laws, and it happened right here in Utah. And uh, it's an interesting uh, thing to to look at in the context of today's world and what's happening on in the world around us. And we've been celebrating that. We've been talking about that all week. I had a great interview with Nyland McBain earlier in the week where uh, we discussed her book, which is called Pioneering the Vote, and talks about this unusual and often unreported. Uh, an unnoted influence of the women of the West and uh, how that all took place. Yesterday, uh, State Senator Deidre Henderson uh, joined me. And I want to share a little bit of her thoughts. She did a great job of encapsulating uh, a joint resolution, which she offered along with Representative Ballard uh, up on Utah's Capitol Hill yesterday, commemorating uh, the women's vote, again, which is tomorrow, February 14th. Uh, But Senator Henderson uh, really framed it out in terms of this important role of women in the West uh, on the suffrage movement?
0: I think it would surprise a lot of people to know that Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton visited Utah in 1871. In fact, Susan B. Anthony became lifelong friends with Emmeline B. Wells, who a lot of LDS people recognized as a, a Relief Society General President for many, many years in the state of Utah. Emmeline B. Wells had... Um, Incredible leadership in the women's rights movement. Her magazine um, was uh, the the exponent, the woman's exponent, was read around the country. A lot of people don't know that. Women in the East were astonished to find out that women in the West, in Utah, who they thought were backward and subjugated and uh, kind of enslaved women out here, that they were astonished to read that women in Utah were empowered with political rights. And very, very active in securing those rights for others as well.
3: Again, that's uh, State Senator Deidre Henderson uh, weighing in yesterday on this program, uh, talking about how this, this untold history of the women of the West, that uh, while many in the East thought uh, they were backwards and oppressed, uh, were were very powerful and very influential in so many different ways, and we're going to talk about a few of those here in just a moment. Uh, I want to shift from uh, Utah's uh, Senate chamber to uh, the U.S. Senate chamber, where yesterday Senator Mike Lee uh, weighed in on what we ought to do as a result of these great women. Uh, And he noted many. He noted that uh, here in the state of Utah, half of the uh, leaders of our institutions of higher learning, our universities and colleges, are women Uh, And we have so many great leaders in so many different spaces here in the state of Utah. Uh, But this is what he said on the floor of the Senate yesterday in Washington, D.C.
1: When Martha Hughes Cannon spoke before a United States Senate committee about the success of women's suffrage in Utah, she said, quote, the story of the struggle for women's suffrage in Utah is the story of all efforts for the advancement and betterment of humanity. Close quote. As we approach the 150th anniversary of Sarah Young's groundbreaking vote. And as we enter the centennial year of the 19th Amendment, it's only fitting that we honor the legacy of these remarkable women and all they've given to my state and to our country.
3: All right. That's uh, Utah Senator Mike Lee yesterday uh, weighing in. As I mentioned, Senator Romney will be speaking on the floor of the Senate later today, again, commemorating uh, Seraph Young and that first vote cast uh, by a woman under equal suffrage laws here in the state of Utah. Uh, everyone seems to be pointing to this thing that I think is is just really fascinating to me, the underreporting of the, the advancement and the influence of women of the West, not just here in the state of Utah, but Wyoming and uh, some of the other uh, surrounding states in those early days were were really pioneers in a in a different way in terms of what they were able to do and what they were able to accomplish but many of those have been lost to history and it's important I think as we celebrate and commemorate uh that we actually try to emulate what they did one example here uh most people uh don't take time to note that the the largest women's organization in the world is headquartered right here in Salt Lake City, Utah, the Relief Society of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Interesting parallels. Uh, that Relief Society was organized uh, just uh, two years before the women's suffrage movement really began, and they, they ran parallel paths uh, and intersect in so many different uh, ways and so many different places. Uh, but interesting to see just the overall impact uh, One of those really interesting from the Relief Society, 1876, Brigham Young uh, had tried to create a wheat storage program uh, in the territory here, uh, but uh, the efforts had been completely unsuccessful. So we turned to Emmeline B. Wells, who was the the general secretary of the Relief Society, uh, had great executive talent and uh, was the head of that organization. And so she asked the uh, local women— Uh, to begin a grain storage program and then send in reports uh, to a central committee so they could monitor and and adjust and and make recommendations. Uh, They became so successful that they amassed enough wheat to donate significant amounts to the survivors of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake and to people in China who were suffering from a famine, as well as those, uh, obviously, we've heard the stories of uh, impact there in Europe after uh, both world wars. Interesting, the, the wheat program lasted for 100 years, uh, and when they finally brought that to an end, they turned over assets uh, that were astonishing. It would, the value of the wheat that had been stored was over $1.5 million, uh, and assets uh, uh, amounting to over three-quarters of a million dollars. Uh, and so it, this is just one example of many of where the women of the West came together, did significant things that had significant impact, uh, and so we we celebrate all uh, women this week, and uh, as we've been mentioning, uh, there are great stories to be told uh, from women from all walks of life uh, who are doing extraordinary things and especially here in the state of Utah and we uh, tip our hat to them and uh, know that there are many great great things yet to come. All right, time for us to step aside for a quick break when we come back we're going to be joined by our friend Carol Makita. We'll talk about the passing of Fred Adams, whose uh, funeral is tomorrow down in Southern Utah. Stay with us here on KSL News Radio.
1: Inside Sources.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, Opinion Editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you today, and we're going to move right along here because uh, I'm uh, really excited to speak with our our friend and colleague Carol Makita, who's down in uh, Cedar City today. Uh, honoring, getting prepared to honor uh, our our friend Fred Adams, uh, who's just synonymous with the Shakespeare Festival. His funeral will be tomorrow, February 14th, uh, down there. Carol, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me, Boyd. It's an honor to talk about uh, Dear Fred Adams.
3: Uh, you know, Fred was just so there. Were, you couldn't separate Fred Adams and Shakespeare. There's, there's no way to divide that. It, it's one. It's, it's almost like a verb or a noun. <laughs> uh, and you've had a lot of experience there with Fred over the years. Starting, he started back in '61 uh, with that Shakespeare Festival. Uh, give us some of your uh, recollections of uh, Fred Adams today. Well, I had an experience that I
2: will never forget. The first time. That I literally stepped onto the property of what was then Southern Utah State College. It was 1980, and I was close to the old Adams Theater. And I stopped in my tracks, and I thought, "What is this feeling?" I knew, of course, that there was a lot of hustle and bustle and creative energy with everyone preparing to open the season—the actors and directors and costume designers and and set designers—but there was something different, and. Moments later, out rushed Fred Adams, and uh, from that moment on, it was almost as if I had known this man all of my life. Um, and and I think that um, that feeling continued. There was an instant connection, and I came to realize that that tremendous spirit that everyone feels there is um, due to the uh, energy and love and vision of Fred. His beloved wife, Barbara, uh, who created the festival, starting, as you said, in 1961.
3: S- such an amazing uh, vision and so far ahead of his time, uh, as you mentioned, that he, he was a force of nature. Uh, he, to me, he was kind of the epitome of, uh, you know, within the parentheses of a crazy idea, is, is sort of where Fred Adams lived. And this idea of having uh, a world class Shakespearean festival in southern Utah. Uh, surely qualified as being within the parentheses of a crazy idea.
2: Uh, you're absolutely right. But as you are talking about great women in our state, um, I think it's appropriate to talk about the vision that was that always existed here. And we have to give credit to Alice Errol Horner, who was the first woman representative uh, in our state. And she uh, was an artist and wanted to create uh, an arts council, and Utah it was the first in the country in 1899. And from that point forward, we can claim the right to great visionaries. Um, Marisa Bravenal with the Utah Symphony, um, uh, and, and uh, well, you know the list goes, goes on, uh, Ballet West, Willem Christensen, and Clay Peterson with the Utah Opera, and uh, there are women among those too, but of course Fred Adams. It doesn't matter where in the state, there are people who are gifted with a vision. And um, Fred would say, let's not leave out the phenomenal determination and hard work that it took to create this and to really convince the people around him that this could happen no one in Cedar City immediately fell in love with the idea that he would give credit to so many of the citizens who supported him and became volunteers and the people that came from throughout the country to add their talent um, and their vision to what took place here. We're talking about 150,000 people a summer uh, in southern Utah to see the Utah Shakespeare Festival, um, and something like $90 million added to the economy. So it, it is a tremendous force for good. And he has been recognized um, throughout the nation with a regional Tony Award, uh, and been recognized across the pond by those uh, who are in the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, They point to Fred Adams and uh, Scott Phillips and those associated, now Brian Vaughn, with uh, this tremendous effort that has happened here
3: in Southern Utah. Uh, that's uh, that's such great insight. If you're just joining us, uh, we have uh, Carol Makita is joining us uh, live from Cedar City today, where she's headed down to be part of the celebration of the life of Fred Adams, uh, the uh, founder of the Utah Shakespeare Festival with his uh, late wife, Barbara. Uh, and they were just such a force for good out there. I, Carol, I really appreciate you, uh, adding in many of the other women of the arts, uh, that have driven and really created such a unique space here in Utah for the arts, uh, that continues on today. And, and uh, with Fred in particular, uh, you know, he, he did it all. I mean, everything from being in the play to directing to pulling the weeds outside to fundraising and everything in between. Uh, he was just, uh, as I said, a force a force of nature to make this thing a reality.
2: Well, I'm in the car with uh, my husband, uh, Neil York, and last year when we went to the festival to jump enjoy. joy, uh, we said to ourselves, well, we've got to find Fred." Even if it takes going to Fred's house to say hello, we did not need to find Fred. He pulled up in the theater, and there he was, uh, pulling weeds and watering the plants right outside the theater and greeting all the visitors, um, including us. And um, it's, he he had a vision that it, it's everything and everyone. And he never sought the limelight for himself he was so very proud of everyone who participated. He was so supportive. He knew how to do that beautifully and inspire the next generation of the next
3: generation. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Carol, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're en route there uh, to Cedar City. We look forward to your uh, reports coming up uh, on uh, the, the funeral services tomorrow. Again, honoring a, uh, a great man, Fred Adams, synonymous with Utah Shakespeare Festival. Uh, Carol, thanks again for joining us today.
2: But I'll end with
3: the way uh, Fred would end every conversation we ever had. Love ya. I love you back, Fred. Oh, fantastic. All right. That's Carol Makita, who uh, joined us from Southern Utah today. Uh, again, we honor the uh, the life and the legacy uh, of Fred Adams, truly a an extraordinary soul, uh, whose love of Shakespeare and love of Utah Uh, created a a legacy that uh, not only survives here in the Intermountain West, but as Carol Makita rightly pointed out, all the way around the world. Uh, And I think it's so important to note that, uh, you know, 150,000 visitors uh, there in southern Utah every year, 90 million added to the economy. Uh, It's such an an amazing thing. And, uh, again, as we celebrate a lot of the great women of our state uh, today, uh, Carol also rightly pointed out so many others who have helped create in Utah uh, such a great place for the arts—a uh, legacy that we hope continues uh, in the years ahead. All right, uh, we're going to take a little early break today. We're going to step aside, get our bottom of the hour news, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Herb Scribner. We're going to give you a little lighter side today. All the things you need to know as you prepare for Valentine's Day tomorrow. This is your warning. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back.
1: Inside source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM at 1160 AM.
3: Welcome back, everyone. This is Inside Sources, and I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you on Valentine's Day. Eve, I think that's what we're going to call this today. So we're going to have a little uh, lighter look at uh, a few things, step aside from uh, the politics and all the other things going on uh, around the world today. Uh, So first, let's give you just a a few of the statistical important uh, categories as it relates to to Valentine's Day. Interestingly, only 55% of Americans say they will celebrate Valentine's Day this year. And uh, but that's not going to stop a lot of spending from going on. The National Retail Federation survey found that the uh, average American will spend uh, uh, the household will spend one hundred ninety six dollars and thirty one cents. I must be cheap. Um, That's a lot. One ninety six thirty one, which is up twenty one percent from last year. And while Valentine's Day is a sentimental tradition, uh, the gift giving part uh, does drive the economy. (laughs) I think that's true. I think we've all experienced that. And uh, because the economy is doing well, uh, most analysts expect that uh, spending will go up uh, this year. And when you say it's all adding up, uh, Valentine's Day spending will exceed $27.4 billion this year, which is uh, $10 billion more than Super Bowl parties, by the way. So if we have a little comparison there, Super Bowl parties are very inexpensive compared to Valentine's Day. Uh, so that's good uh 67% of that money will be spent on a spouse or a significant other or a family member uh the rest will be shared with friends classmates coworkers pets pets they included pets on this survey i have a problem with that uh pets should not get valentines i i have a rule for that uh how does it break down? Let's talk about the breakdown. Uh, jewelry is the top gift item, about $5.8 billion spent on jewelry for Valentine's Day, followed by an evening out, which is where I will be, $4.3 billion. Clothing, $2.9 billion. Candy, all important. I thought this number would be higher, actually, uh, $2.4 billion. And flowers, amazingly, was the lowest. Uh, $2.3 billion will be spent on flowers tomorrow uh, for Valentine's Day. Uh, so a lot of interesting things there. Uh, another th- a couple of things we've been talking about in the newsroom. Uh, Robin, uh, our producer, and I were talking about uh, what we're going to call competitive valentining, uh, which seems to be a very Utah thing. There's this uh, competitive – How what kind of valentine's box are you bringing to your fifth grade class is sort of the deal – Uh, And uh, Robin uh, experienced this today. She saw people bringing in Darth Vader boxes and very elaborate things that were clearly not made by the child, uh, but were obviously made by a parent. Uh, So have we gotten into competitive valentining? Is that appropriate? Uh, I also think a lot of the schools have gone into this mode where you have to do the same thing for every classmate. So you really can't have a valentine. You have to equally distribute it amongst all of the other students. Uh, And I think that kind of valentining uh, falls into the category of everybody's special, so nobody is special. And I think uh, that uh, is a little bit of a challenge out there as well. Uh, We'll be curious, what is your uh, go-to or best valentine gift you can let us know that on the utah community credit union ksl text line five seven five zero zero and also just wanted to remind everyone uh if you miss any segments of the program you can always go and pick those up uh on our ksl news radio app which is sponsored by our friends at any hour services and you can always pick up uh, anything that you missed uh, we've had some great interviews this week, uh, especially relating to the women's suffrage movement and the celebration that we had yesterday and that we will have again tomorrow here in the state of Utah, honoring the great women and the enormous, extraordinary impact they have had, not just on this state, but on the West and on the country as a whole. Uh, and so we will you can always pick those up, and uh, we want to get your take on that as well. Uh, so anything else on the on the Valentine's front uh, always interesting to know this was another uh, debate going on in the newsroom today uh, and that is who's responsible for Valentine's Day? Uh, sometimes that gets to be a, a divided task is is that the uh, woman's job is that the man's job which which partner is uh, in charge of that and then how does that break down as it relates to your anniversary? <laughs> Uh, we, uh, we've we heard of some couples that split that. One uh, one partner will be in charge of Valentine's Day. The other will be in charge of the anniversary. And uh, who knows how that all goes. It's pretty simple at, at my house uh, because I have a great Valentine. I, I may have the best. See, everyone's nodding. Even Gustavo in the booth is nodding that I have the best Valentine. So anyway. All right. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a, a, an early exit uh, on this segment of the program. And when we come back, we're going to break down what does it all mean in terms of this thing called love and uh, how does that play out in all the different aspects of our society uh, everything from the way we vote to the people we interact with and as martin luther king jr said that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word you kill that final word next on ksl news radio
1: inside sources
3: Welcome back, everyone. Final segment on Inside Sources. Today, I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you, as always. Uh, we've been trying to take a little sidestep from uh, some of the political things. There's always an application there, to be sure. Uh, but I wanted to uh, to get into something that uh, came up last uh, last night. It was uh, an awesome email from one of our listeners, uh, Troy. Troy. And uh, Troy had been listening uh, when we shared an interview I had done with Arthur Brooks uh, a while back. And uh, he said that uh, he he had been inspired by that. He went and he bought uh, Arthur Brooks' book, uh, Love Your Enemies, uh, has been sharing that with uh, friends and family. Uh, but then, then this is it. Remember, we always ask that therefore what question in this segment of the program. We're always talking about now what do we do with it? Now that we have... Insight into a principle or a concept or an idea. How do we actually apply it? How do we actually use it? And uh, I got this email, and I've just been smiling ever since. This made this may have made my year. This was this was so good Uh, because Troy said that uh, his family had opted not just to uh, think about these principles of love your enemies and that the connections. Uh, but he had actually uh opted to send out a different message message upper th- uh, other than uh, hate and contempt and so the way he decided to send that out into the world which i just love was through his license plates so uh you can see it up on our screen if you're uh, watching on the uh, the online version there uh two beautiful license plates uh, on the back of Troy's car uh one says love your neighbor <laughs> spelled very creatively. And the other says, love your enemies. <laughs> uh, and they're just fabulous. So if you can see those, uh, you can check those on the web uh, and on the podcast, uh, just a, uh, a wonderful rendition. And it, it shows me the perfect application. So often I, I hear people say, well, what can I do about it? I don't know what to do uh, after I hear some of these principles. Uh, do anything, do something, take action. And so here, Troy, again, his license plate, L-V-U-R-N-B-R, love your neighbor, Uh, and the other license plate, L-V-U-R-N-M-E, love your enemy. (laughs) Uh, That's taking action. That's sending out a message that I'm sure causes people to smile every day uh, as they're driving behind Troy or one of his family members. And uh, so I wanted to give a a shout out and a big thanks to Troy uh, and his family for showing how you actually apply the principle. And I want to take that one step further. Uh, Troy mentioned uh, that he heard my interview with Arthur Brooks, and uh, that inspired him to take some action and to do some things. So I want to play a little Arthur Brooks today, because you can never go with Arthur Brooks on Valentine's Eve. Uh, And so first, uh, this is from the National Prayer Breakfast just last week, February 6th, uh, where Arthur gave an amazing speech on contempt, And he did it with the President of the United States six feet to his right at the head table, and Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, about eight feet to his left at the other end of the head table. And he chose to talk about love, civility, tolerance, contempt, and how we move forward as a nation. And uh, here's what he had to say.
1: So I gave my speech, and in the middle, I stopped and I said, My friends, You've been giving a lot of applause to the speakers here today and you agree with them and I agree with them too. But I want you to remember the people who aren't here. They're not here. They wouldn't be comfortable. They wouldn't be comfortable because they don't agree with these ideas. Who are they? Political liberals. I want you to remember they're not stupid and they're not evil. They're just Americans who disagree with us on public policy. And if you want to persuade them which you should, you can only do it one way, and that's with love. It was not an applause line. <clears throat> Thank you. Finally, the applause I've been waiting so long for. But a lady, a lady said to me, she said, you're wrong. They are stupid and evil. And at that moment, my mind went to Seattle. Why? Because it's my hometown. As some of you know, Seattle is the most politically progressive place in the United States. My father was a college professor. My mother was an artist in Seattle, Washington. What do you think their politics were? I'm politically conservative. I'm the outlier in my own family. Let me tell you something about my parents. They were not stupid, and they were not evil. They were followers of Jesus and brought me up as a Christian. They gave me good values and they taught me to think for myself, which I did at great inconvenience to them. (laughs) That day, political polarization became personal to me and I want it to be personal to you on this day. So let me ask you this. How many of you love somebody with whom you disagree politically? I'm going to round that off to 100%. The rest of you are on your phones. Are you comfortable hearing someone on your side insult that person that you love? Make it personal, my friends. This reminds me of a lesson my father taught me about moral courage. We're always taught that we need to stand up to the people with whom we disagree. And that is a good thing to do. Look, we need a competition of ideas. This is America. But the great thing about America is there's no knock in the night and no jackbooted thug just because people disagree with us. God bless this country. We've achieved this. So moral courage is not standing up to the people with whom you disagree. Moral courage is standing up to the people with whom you agree on behalf of those with whom you disagree. Can you do it? Are
3: you up for it? All right, that's uh, Arthur Brooks at the National Prayer Breakfast. And, and again, showing that uh, this element of love is a, is a big deal, that, that it's not enough just to tolerate other people. Uh, it's that ability to stand up to those that you agree with on behalf of those that you disagree with. Uh, Arthur finally
1: uh, concluded with uh, this thought. So how do we break the habit of contempt? Some people say we need more civility. We need more tolerance. I say nonsense. Why? Because civility and tolerance are a low standard. If I told you that my wife Esther and I are civil to each other, you'd say we need counseling. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew didn't say tolerate your enemies. He said love your enemies. Love them. Answer hatred with love. Again,
3: that's uh, Arthur Brooks uh, at the National Prayer Breakfast last week. And again, the, the setting was pretty stunning with uh, President Trump on his right, Nancy Pelosi on the left. Uh, and yet this is where we have to get. Uh, we, we've really got to change the way that, uh, that we engage with one another. Uh, we have to recognize that hate in all its forms, including contempt and prejudice and even the petty social media slurs, uh, they lead to a place where fear and frustration uh, turn into rage uh even into violence and we have to call it out for what it is i think that's part of our job uh as american citizens is to to truly call it out and to replace it uh not just with tolerance not just with civility uh but with love uh and that's a that's a different animal uh you have to go a little different and and one of the things that we need to keep in mind i think as citizens is that as we consume uh or are consumed by <laughs> our media from Twitter to cable news, uh, we need to remember that anyone who plants thistles in the spring is not expecting to harvest fruit in the fall. So do not think for a minute, not for a nanosecond, that those who are continually planting the seeds of hate and anger and frustration and contempt are expecting in any way, shape, or form to reap Love or kindness later on. Uh it's just not going to happen. And so again, anyone who plants thistles in the spring is not expecting to harvest fruit in the fall. And the same is true with hate and contempt in particular. Uh, you're not going to reap love and kindness later on. It's just not going to happen. All right, I want to conclude today as we roll into uh Valentine's Day and into the President's Day weekend. Uh, something that I picked up uh, a long time ago. Uh, my dad handed me once the uh, Mandino classic, The Greatest Salesman in the World, uh, and it just uh, mesmerized me. Uh, and I've read it a gazillion times over the years and passed it on to my kids. I uh, had the great privilege of doing some work with Ogmandino uh, on the speaking circuit years ago. Uh, but in his his classic, uh, Greatest Salesman in the World, he has the Scrolls of Success, and it was always interesting and enlightening to me uh, where those scrolls started, the messages that built this pathway to success and achievement. Uh, but it actually started with love. And the, in that scroll, it said that, "'I will greet this day with love in my heart. And how will I speak? I will laud mine enemies, and they will become friends. I will encourage my friends, and they will become brothers and sisters.'" Always will I dig for reasons to applaud. Never will I scratch for excuses to gossip. When I'm tempted to criticize, I will bite on my tongue. When I am moved to praise, I will shout from the roofs. I will greet this day with love in my heart. Uh, I think there's so many lessons in there. We could spend a whole show just breaking some of that down. Uh, But Ogmandino continued. He said, but how will I act? We always get to the action part of this program. He said... I will love all manner of people, for each has qualities to be admired, even though they may be hidden. Uh, And how often is that the case, that uh, we see someone and they may have some great qualities, they may just be hiding. And then finally Mandino concluded, how will I react to the actions of others? And his answer, with love, uh, which is always the key. Mandino wrote, For just as love is my weapon to open the hearts of men, love is also my shield to repulse the arrows of hate and the spears of anger. I will greet this day with love in my heart. And so, as we roll into Valentine's, remember how we speak, how we act, and how we react to the actions of those around us, especially those who are different or those with whom we disagree, will determine exactly how much hate. How much kindness we have in our lives, in our communities, and ultimately in our country. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Great to be with you on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio today. And as always, as you go out into the world today, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference.